Well, it is good to be with you here today, church. I will say I did miss you last week. We were, uh, ACF was away at our fall retreat, and uh, though we had a great time away connecting with the Lord and connecting in community, uh, it is good to be back here together on campus worshiping with our extended family here. And so it's good to, good to be here today. Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take that out or go ahead and take out whatever smart device, smartphone, iPad you might have and turn with me to Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6. If you need a Bible, raise a hand and uh, we'll have some folks coming around and they can get a Bible to you here this morning. Just hold your place there for a minute, Ephesians 6, we'll get to that passage here. Uh, but we're starting a brand new series today called Spiritual Things, Spiritual Things. And uh, this is going to be a short three-part series uh, that's going to take us right up until Thanksgiving break. And for the course of this series, we'll be talking about things and subjects relating to the supernatural supernatural and uh, before you get freaked out and go running out the doors of alumni hall stick with us hopefully today we're gonna we're gonna lay down some healthy groundwork for us to have a construct of how to even begin to talk about the supernatural now for those of you who watched the the hit series stranger things on netflix just by show fans how many of you have watched the show stranger things who am i talking to okay all right, wow, not as many as I thought, okay. Uh, so half the room has no idea what my t-shirt is about, so that's okay. Uh, Rep in Hawkins, Indiana, this is a, a, a nod to the show Stranger Things. Um, and uh, I, I, let me just say, this series that we're gonna be in is, will be very loosely based on, this, uh, on the hit series show. We're not gonna exegete the show, we're not gonna extrapolate, analyze the show, I'm not gonna talk about what happened to Hopper, I don't, that's not the point of this series, okay? Um, so, so, uh, but I will reference occasionally different aspects of the show. Now, for those of you who have never watched the show, that's okay. You don't need, this is not a prerequisite to follow along with us in the series. Uh, but if you did watch the show, uh, you'll, you'll be able to pick up on some references. For instance, uh, the title of my message today is The Real Upside Down. The Real Upside Down. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with that term, the upside down, uh, in the show Stranger Things, the upside down was understood to be this alternate universe uh, that interacted with the natural order of things in our real world, right? You know what I'm talking about. For those of you who watch the show, this, the upside down was understood to be this other world that impacted the human world in some real and tangible ways. And you gotta understand, the upside down was not perceivable with our human eyes. And so while it's not perceivable with our human eyes, it was very much real in the sense that it interacted and interfaced with our human reality in real time. That's the upside down. In some ways, that's what the Apostle Paul was getting at in Ephesians 6. And so go with me to Ephesians 6, starting at verse 10. Paul begins to paint a picture for us of the real upside down. Listen to what he says here in Ephesians 6, verse 10. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Our brother Will Byers could have been, been useful for, for the, with this text, right? Like, it'd be stand, stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, you ready for this? Here it is. He begins to describe the real upside down. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. 
the things that are perceivable with our five senses, the things that we can see, smell, taste, touch, hear, these are not things that, that are perceivable with our five senses. Our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The real upside down. In many ways, the upside down can be used as a very real metaphor for the life of a believer. And so if you're here and you identify yourself as a believer in, in God and you're a follower of Jesus, the upside down is an important concept that we need to get our heads around. In fact, theologian C.S. Lewis suggested at one point that we were made for another world, that we as human beings were created for another world. Ancient philosophers like Plato suggested that there are actually alternate universes that run parallel to our universe that impact our reality. Now, listen, I don't subscribe to all of Plato's theories on this particular point, but I say this because I find it fascinating. I find it interesting that various people throughout human history in different spheres of influence, including authors of scripture like the Apostle Paul, seem to indicate that there is a reality that is beyond us. There is a reality and, an, and, a, and a universe that is beyond us that interfaces with our reality here in real time. That we're not just sitting here, our butts in, this seat, in these seats in Alumni Hall, and that's all that's going on. That there's a preacher preaching to you through a microphone that's coming out of the speakers that you're hearing and processing. That is not all that's going on here right now in this room. That there is actually a supernatural spiritual realm that's working in place. Roman Catholic priest and French philosopher Taylor said it best when he said, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience but rather we're spiritual beings having a human experience. Let me say that again. Taylor said that we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. That's a lot of times we kind of think ourselves of that way, right? We're, we're human beings and we go, we go to church, we go, we go to our campus ministries, our large group time, we go on retreats very much like the one that ACF was on this past week and we have spiritual experiences. Now, this, this, Taylor says, no, 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 hang on. You're not human beings having a spiritual experience, but you are first and foremost spiritual beings having a human experience. Now, what I'm currently talking about here is the issue of our worldview. The issue of our worldview. I want to spend a good bit of time talking about our worldview here because I think this is critically important. Without a proper worldview, friends, hear me, much of what we talk about, not only today, but for the course of the next couple of weeks, will make little to no sense. Without a proper worldview, much of how we process what we talk about in scripture will make little to no sense. Friends, did you know that everyone has a particular worldview? Ephesians 6 is communicating a particular worldview. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, you have a particular worldview. And your worldview is significantly important because your worldview informs your decisions on some of life's biggest questions. Your worldview addresses some of the most foundational aspects of your human existence. Questions like, why am I here? Why do I exist? What's my purpose in life? Questions like, where did we come from? Where, where is our origin? What is our origin? Where are we headed? 
Is there an afterlife? And if so, does it even matter? Is there a God? What is God? Where is God? If there is a God, once again, does it even matter? You see, your worldview informs how you land on some of these most foundational aspects of our human existence. Now, listen, I realize these are not questions that you might ponder on uh, the first thing when you wake up in the morning. They, they might not be things that you regularly think about throughout the, throughout the course of a given day. But I promise you this, when you begin to ponder those types of questions, the primary influencing factor on how you land and where you land on those questions will be your worldview. It's your worldview, how you see the world and how you interact with it. Now, here's why this issue of worldview is so important for our conversation here this morning. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, and as a believer in the one true holy God, your worldview should reflect such beliefs. Now, in other words, let, let me put it for you this way. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've got to understand a supernatural God requires a supernatural worldview. That's our big idea for today. If you jot down anything from today's message, let it be this. A supernatural God requires a supernatural worldview. If we gather anything from our time together, I pray that it be this, that a supernatural God requires a supernatural worldview. In other words, if you follow Jesus and you believe in the God of the Bible, hear me, church, it would be paradoxical for you to walk away settling for a naturalistic worldview. In other words, there's no way to read Scripture, spend any time in Scripture, either in the Old or New Testament, doesn't matter, just, just kind of find a place in Scripture and read through, and, and there's no possible way that you would walk away from reading Scripture perceiving God to be, number one, a natural God, and number two, a God who solely operates in the natural realm. In fact, when you spend any time of uh, any of your times in either Old or New Testament, what you see is a supernatural God who does supernatural things. But here's the problem. The problem is your tendency and my tendency, our tendency, is to naturalize the things that were always intended to be supernatural. Our tendency is to naturalize things that were always intended to be supernatural. Why? Because our worldview has been shaped, whether you can track this, I mean, sociologists have tracked this throughout the course of history, from the ancient times to the medieval times to the, mod, to, to the Enlightenment era, to the modernist, to the postmodern era, to the era that we are currently residing in now and living in now, you can see how naturalism has been the driving force that pushes out anything that smells remotely supernatural. We, we, we settle for this naturalistic worldview. And so consequently, our worldview has been shaped in such a way. It's been shaped just, just, just by the way that we've been brought up in, in, in your context. We've been brought up in a way where we don't always know what to do with the supernatural. Uh, for those of you who are on retreat with us this past week, our retreat speaker touched on this in passing, right? Our, our worldview doesn't always provide a space or a category to know what to do with the supernatural. And so you know what happens? 
Hollywood runs with this, and they have a field day with this. And they make tons of money making super crazy and super scary movies, right? Like, and, and you see this often, right? Like paranormal activities, stories about haunted houses and ghosts and spooky sightings and demon-possessed nuns and devil-possessed dolls that come alive and kill people, right? Like, to the, I mean, honestly, like, we're laughing at this, but for many of us, come on, you know this, for many of us, the extent of our understanding of the supernatural has been shaped by what we see on the silver screen, which, by the way, isn't terribly helpful at all. Why? Because you know this. Most of us know that what we're watching on the screen isn't even real in the first place, right? Like, I, I got to tell my kids this all the time. When they're watching something scary on TV, I said, that's not real. That's, that's just fake. That's, a, that's you know, that's, that's computer-generated and all this stuff, right? That's not real. And for, for most of us, right, like we know this. I hope you know this, that what you see on the screen isn't real, right? Like between, we just got out of Halloween, right? Like we see the costume effects, the, the makeup effects and all this. It's all CGI and all this stuff. And so we know that even the most convincing portrayal of the supernatural that we see that we're privy to isn't even supernatural to begin with and so what we end up with is we end up having a world, whole worldview that discards anything that appears to be supernatural and we explain it away we rationalize it away we cgi it away we we we, we say that that can't be and what we end up with what we're left with is a completely naturalistic worldview that actually looks nothing like the Bible. It looks nothing like scripture. Can I give you two case studies on this? Let me give you two case studies using cultural sort of phenomenons, okay? How many of you know the, the cartoon series Scooby-Doo? All right, Scooby-Doo, right, a, bunch, a bunch of you know, like Scooby-Doo made the comeback and all this wonderful stuff. Scooby-Doo was a cartoon that I, I grew up watching. Um, it, it aired in the 70s, and it, it was a hit show amongst kids and families, right? Like everyone loves Scooby-Doo. And for those of you who've never watched an episode of Scooby-Doo, you don't know what Scooby-Doo is about, the show was based on a dog named Scooby-Doo, who along with his friends would go around solving these supernatural mysteries, Right, they, they would go around solving these unsolved supernatural mysteries. And it was suspenseful. Like, like as a kid, you're watching this, you're like at the edge of your seat. You're like, oh my goodness, I don't know what's, I don't know what's coming about here from, from, from this episode. And it, it gave a sense of awe and wonder and mystery. Until you reach the end of the episode. You see, what was interesting about Scooby-Doo was every episode would end with some kind of natural explanation for this supernatural phenomenon. Every episode would end with some kind of natural explanation for this supernatural mystery that Scooby-Doo and his friends were trying to solve. And so, for instance, the ghost wasn't really a ghost. It was really a man in a white sheet. That's all it was. Right? Like the monster wasn't really a monster. It was really a woman in an elaborate costume. It just looked like a monster in the shadows. The floating object? Nah, things don't float, right? Like, the floating object was really someone holding, thing, holding that thing up with, with a set of strings. You see, Scooby-Doo was a prime example of how our worldview tends to naturalize the supernatural. Can I give you another case study? Let me just give you one more example. Uh, this is not a cartoon, but a real-life story. 
Uh, some of you may have followed in this last week the, the, the trending news on social media, the story of Kanye West, right? Uh, if you haven't been following, some of you may have caught it, but, but Kanye gave his life to Christ and uh, is now holding church services all across America and all across the world and, and different places, and he just dropped an album called Jesus is King. And uh, the tracks on the album, if you, if you haven't heard it, um, it's, it's explicitly Christian. There, there's no hiding. I mean, like Kanye straight up quotes scripture in some of his tracks. It's a very different kind of album, say like College Dropout or, or some of his previous work. It's, it's not, it's not yay, the, the way you know yay. You know, like it, it, he put out some different content here. And let me tell you, if you've been following along, the media, again, is having a field day with this. They're saying things like, they're looking at Kanye in utter disbelief and saying, this is the same Kanye who at an awards show ran up with a bottle of Hennessy, grabbed the mic, and started blurting out all kinds of nonsense. This is the guy who, you just fill in the blank with all kinds of obscenities or all kind of, kinds of lewd, crude action, and you say, and the media is saying, that's this Kanye? Kanye is a Christian now? And they be, they, they're, they're questioning the validity of this so-called change. And maybe you even caught wind, and you're like, yeah, right. Kanye Christian, you know, was it was that from like uh, some kind of satire, you know, news article, whatever, you know, like that can't be. Even folks in the church, I, I'm, I'm part of this church pastors group, and you should see the comments. Comments like, Kanye's a Christian? Yeah, right, we'll see about that. I don't want to gloss over statements like that because here's what statements like that is saying. Statements like that shows and indicates a worldview that says, there's no way God can do that. Friends, that statement alone is a clear sign of a naturalistic worldview. When you begin to declare what God and can and cannot do, friends, you have subscribed to a naturalistic worldview. You are no longer operating out of a supernatural worldview when you begin to declare what God can and cannot do. By the way, just as a sidebar, look at, look at the Apostle Paul. He, he went from Saul, the guy who was persecuting Christians and, and, and putting Christians to death, wrote half of our New Testament. I bet there were people who said, Saul, a Christian? Nah, that can't be. God can't do that. Friends, that is speaking to a naturalistic worldview. By the way, I'm not trying to compare Kanye to the Apostle Paul, in case you're wondering. That is not, that's not even a comparison, okay? Let me just get that out there. Now listen, friends, Here's, here's, here's why we're talking about this. When you subscribe and you hold to a naturalistic worldview, you're going to begin to find huge points of disconnect between what you're experiencing in your faith journey and what you read in your Bibles. When you have a naturalistic worldview and you're trying to follow Jesus and you're trying to walk with God, you're going to find huge points of disconnect, sometimes irreconcilable disconnect, between what you're experiencing in your faith journey and what you read in Scripture. Because the God of the Bible, when you read the Bible, the God of the Bible is a supernatural God who does supernatural things. And, and, and this supernatural God who does supernatural things requires a supernatural worldview. So the question is, how do we even develop a worldview like this? How do we develop a supernatural worldview? Well, the answer to that question might surprise you a bit. 
One of the easiest and best ways to develop a supernatural worldview, ready for this? It's to simply look at your life. Like, what? <laughs> like, I, I thought I should read my Bible. Like, well, yeah, you read your Bible. But let me just make it real applicable for us for our time this morning. In order to develop a supernatural worldview, one of the easiest and best ways to do that is to simply look at your life. I want to look at your life specifically in three phases, and I'm going to go through them real quickly for the sake of time, and uh, we're, going to, we're going to break out into communion here at the end of our time here together. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time on each of these life phases, but I'm going to go through them quickly, and as we do, what you'll begin to see is that your life, friends, your life, brothers and sisters, is a sign is a sign of a supernatural God who does supernatural things. Now, even that statement alone, you might be like, I don't know about that. I haven't seen any supernatural workings in my life just yet. Friends, again, when you have a naturalistic worldview, you cannot see the work of God in your life. And so my hope is that as we begin to extrapolate these three different phases of your life, you'll begin to see from a biblical and theological standpoint how your life speaks and testifies to a supernatural God who does supernatural things. Now, before I go any further, let me just say this as, a, as just a quick caveat. I should mention that, that I'm primarily going to be describing the life of a believer here. As I go through these three different phases of life, I'm describing the life of a believer, someone who has surrendered their life to Jesus and is fully devoted to following after him. And so if you've never done that today, if you've never given your life, you've surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've never made that decision for yourself, number one, so happy you're here. So glad you're here. We hope that you keep coming back. Even if the series gets a little weird and wonky, just keep coming back, okay? Uh, we, we'd love for you to track with us. But, but just hang tight. And furthermore, I, I, want you to, I want you to listen in on how God works in people's lives, okay? And so the first phase of our lives that I want to look at is your first encounter with Christ, I want you to look at your first encounter with Christ. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home, and, and though you spent your childhood uh, going to church, maybe it wasn't until later on you got serious about your faith, right? That's a, a lot of our stories. Grew up in church, went to church with my family, went to church with my parents, but, but it wasn't until later on in life that I took my faith seriously. Or maybe you never went to church. Maybe you grew up in a, in a very irreligious home, antagonistic towards anything related to faith. Uh, maybe, you didn't, maybe it wasn't until later on that a friend invited you to youth group, right? Like that, that Christ met you and, and, and you encountered him there. Maybe, maybe it wasn't until you came here to Penn State and you were invited to a campus ministry or a Bible study or some kind of large group meeting. Maybe you went to a retreat or a conference and Christ met you there and you ended up giving your life over to him. Wherever that first encounter took place, I want you to think about that moment for a second. Go back to that place. I want you to realize that you would not have come to Christ had Christ not come to you first. Just think about that. You would not have come to Christ had Christ not revealed himself to you first. First John 4.19 says, we love because this is the reason why we respond in worship. This is the reason why we exalt him. This is the reason why we give our lives to him. We love because God first loved us. 
We did nothing to initiate this relationship that we have with Christ. In fact, God is the primary one who is responsible for the one who initiated this relationship that you currently have with him. Now listen, you may have voluntarily surrendered your life to Christ. That was like out of your own volition at some point or another. But it's because, you gotta understand this, it's because Christ and his love first encountered you. Without the first, this first encounter with the love of Christ, we would not have even gotten to a place of surrender. We just wouldn't. And so it's because Jesus first revealed himself to us as our loving Savior, as the lover of our soul, however he might, shown, however, however he might have shown up in your life, it's because of that first encounter of Jesus that we became this, we started this journey called Christianity. We started this journey of walking with Jesus. Now, when Christ became real to you, right, like whenever that was and however that was, and you surrendered your life to him, however that was, whenever that was, tell me that this wasn't the case for you. Tell me that all of a sudden, right, you found your internal wiring begin to change, right? Like the first moment that you encountered Christ and you surrendered your life to him, all of a sudden you found your internal wiring begin to change. What do I mean by that? All of a sudden, you no longer wanted the same things that you once did. Your appetite for things started to change. You no longer desire the things of this world. Rather, all of a sudden, you started growing hungry for things like God's word and scripture. You started growing hungry for prayer. You started growing hungry for Christian fellowship and community. The things that you deemed as important as one, at one point in your life just didn't seem as important anymore. When you gave your life to Jesus, tell me that this wasn't the case, that, that the things that you were going after and the way that you designed your life all of a sudden took a drastic detour and you said, nope, those things are no longer important to pursue. Now I'm making my life pursuit about something else, something greater, something more significant. Maybe your experience was you were going through some pretty crappy stuff and you were going through some dark and heavy seasons of your life. And maybe in that moment when Christ encountered you and you surrendered your life to him, maybe it was in that moment that dark and heavy stuff started lifting from your life and all of a sudden you felt freer and more at peace. I remember talking to a student a couple of years back. He came to one of our baptism services. God got a hold of his heart and uh, started right there in that baptism service. God, God started calling him home. He had no faith background or anything. I, I, I got together with him the next morning and because uh, he was like, he couldn't sleep that night. And so he, he, he called me up and said, hey, Dan, I got to talk to you, man. I, I don't know what's going on. But for all my life, I've been struggling with depression. And I feel like I don't know where depression is anymore. I don't know what to do with that. I said, buddy, that's Jesus calling you home. That, that's, that's God calling you, this, this sheep, back to his family. And he got saved right there, and now he's walking with the Lord. It's, it's, it's an incredible thing. But maybe, again, maybe for you, your testimony, your journey is, yeah, that's, that's me. I was dealing with some heavy stuff. And all of a sudden, when I gave my life over to Jesus, some of that stuff, a significant portion of that stuff just started to lift. I felt freer. I felt more at peace. Friends, did you know that this isn't just like this random dynamic that like just takes place like this isn't stuff that i'm just making up this isn't stuff that you went through and you got to scratch your head and be like is this real it is real 
You know how I know that? Ephesians 2 talks about this very dynamic. You can turn there if you'd like. Ephesians 2, we're going to put that up here on the screen. At the start of Ephesians 2, listen to how Paul describes what our lives were like before this first encounter with Christ. Listen to what he says, Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Just pause right there. You were dead. As a dead person, there was nothing that you could have done to make you come alive. Scripture says, again, from a spiritual, from a theological standpoint, you were dead. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Again, friends, this is a foreshadow. If you didn't catch this yet here, this is a foreshadow of what's to come in Ephesians 6. He's talking about the principalities of darkness and the forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in us. And verse 3, he says, among whom we all, not excluding any one of us, but he puts us all in that place, among, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So again, prior to encountering Jesus, this was our spiritual condition. This is, this is where we were at. This was our reality, that we were dead in our trespasses, that we were following the prince of power, the, 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 the demonic forces around us, which we're going to talk about next week. We were once living according to the passions of our flesh and fully giving ourselves to them, therefore, therefore being children of wrath. This was our spiritual condition. And he goes on, Paul says, but God. Oh, gospel words right there. Words of good news. You are dead, but God, this supernatural God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. This, friends, by very nature is a supernatural work of God. As you'll see in just a few moments, you and I had no part in this. We had no part in making ourselves come alive. But it was because of what God had done. But God, but God, but God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That's what grace means. That means you did nothing. This was a free gift. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Is Paul talking physically, literally here? Obviously no. He's talking about our spiritual conditions. He's not talking about our natural physical body. Bodies. He's talking about our supernatural spiritual conditions. Again, this would make no sense without a supernatural worldview. He says, he goes on and he says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He says again, for grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And listen now, this is not your own doing. It is the supernatural it is the extraordinary gift of God, not a result of works, not your works, not my works, so that no one may boast. Friends, hear me. 
what this passage is saying is that the fact that you're even a Christian today is a supernatural wonder. The fact, look, look I, I know that for, for in our modernistic, naturalistic worldview, we say, I'm a Christian because I decided to be a Christian. No, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. That decision did not come on your own. It came because Christ first revealed himself to you, and when you surrendered your life to him, Ephesians 2 took place. That you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins, but God, being rich in mercy and love, he made you alive. You and I had no part in that. You would not be a Christian today had Christ not first encountered you. A supernatural God requires a supernatural worldview. The second phase I want to look at real quickly is this, your current walk with Christ your current walk with Christ. So you encountered Christ, right? And, and you surrendered your life to him, and now you are walking with him. Friends, do you know that just as you could not have come to Christ on your own, so it is with your current walk with Jesus. You cannot walk with Christ without Christ. You cannot walk with Jesus apart from Jesus. There's so many places in scripture that I'd love to go to talk about this. John 15, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. There's no bearing fruit in your Christian walk apart from me, without me. Second Peter 1 tells us that because of Christ, we've got everything we need for this life and godliness. We got everything we need to pursue after our Christian lives. Acts 1.8 tells us that when the Holy Spirit empowers you, it is then and only then that you will be my witnesses wherever you go, that you will be my disciples wherever you go. Romans 6 tells us that because of Christ and what he's done for us, we are brought into newness of life, which Paul talks about later on in 2 Corinthians 5, where we're informed that we are made into brand new creations, that the old has gone and the new has been ushered in. But let me just point out one passage of scripture real quickly that's as clear as day in first thessalonians 5 23 you might this you might have passed by this passage before but let me just shine a, a quick spotlight on it first thessalonians 5 23 says this now may the god of peace himself remember this is a work of god it's not your doing this is not my doing this is the supernatural work of god now may the god of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the list of what he says right after that. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. There's no questioning here who is doing the sanctifying work in your Christian walk. It's not, uh, friends, hear me. The Christian walk is not about putting on our bootstraps and trying harder, working harder, striving harder. That's not what your, your walk with Jesus is, is to be signified by. Your walk with Jesus is to be signified by a God of peace who himself is sanctifying you completely. You know what the word sanctify means? It's to be changed and formed into the image of Jesus. That's what sanctification means. It's, it's the process of being changed and formed into the image of Jesus. And that's what this passage is saying, that as you walk with Jesus, he is simultaneously doing a work of transformation in your life from the inside out. As you walk with Jesus, he is working in your life in ways that you don't even know. He is working in your life to form you into the image of him himself. He is simultaneously doing a work of transformation. And so here's what this means. 
That means that any victory that you experience in your walk with Christ, it's because of him. Any, any mountaintop experience that you might experience in your faith journey, it's because of him. Any breakthrough, any spiritual breakthrough, any revelation that you have of God has nothing to do with what you did. It's because God decided to show up in your life. But you see, a naturalistic worldview couldn't see that. A supernatural God requires a supernatural worldview. Friends, you cannot walk with Christ without Christ. You need him in order to walk with him. And that, my friends, makes your current walk with Jesus supernatural. I want to look at this one last phase, and then we'll go to the communion table here in just a few moments. The last phase of your life I want to look at is your afterlife with Christ. Your afterlife with Christ. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. You don't need to turn there. You can if you'd like, but 1 Corinthians 15. I'm just going to read the last few verses here. In fact, when you have time, friends, I would encourage you to actually read through 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you want a, if you want a good study on like the resurrection, not just the resurrection of Christ, but our resurrection, our bodily resurrection that we are going to enter into when Christ returns, 1 Corinthians 15 is a great place to study that. But at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 50, it says this. Paul says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. There, there goes Paul again, contrasting the natural world with the supernatural. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. A supernatural God requires a supernatural worldview. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In other words, when Jesus returns, whether you're dead or alive, because we don't know when Jesus is going to return. And, and the fact is, presumably, there will be people living as well as people who are dead. Whether you're living or you're dead, we will all be given resurrection bodies. Now, I don't have time to unpack all of that. Paul talks about that earlier on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but that we will be given brand new resurrection bodies. He says, we, we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality. Now, he's talking about the afterlife here, in case you're wondering, what is all this perishable, imperishable talking about? He's talking about the afterlife here. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, he says, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Here's what Paul is saying. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus... Death is swallowed up in victory, and our eternity is secure. Our afterlife is certain. It's certain. The resurrection of our bodies, and here's why this is important. The resurrection of our bodies, and, and again, guys, I wish I had more time to unpack even what that looks like, what that means. It's even hard for us to grab, wrap our head around that from, from a naturalistic standpoint, right? But the, the resurrection of our bodies and our afterlife with Christ is a sure sign 
that we have a supernatural God who is in the business of doing supernatural things. Friends, hear me when I say this. There is nothing natural about resurrection life. There's nothing natural about that. There was nothing natural when Jesus was raised from the dead. There will be nothing natural when we are given resurrection bodies, when we will all be made new. There's nothing natural about that. Supernatural God requires a supernatural worldview. And so how do we develop a supernatural worldview? I don't have all the answers for that, but I have a sneaking suspicion that you got clues right in front of you. For the life of a believer, how do we develop a supernatural worldview? It's real simple. Just look at your life. Because your life is a living, breathing testimony of a supernatural God who does supernatural things all around us. Now, what about those of us who have never experienced any of this? I've never experienced this encounter with Christ. I've never experienced this. I, I don't have this current walk with Jesus and this afterlife. Forget it. I'm not even thinking about my afterlife, let alone like next week. Like I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't even have a construct in mind for this. How do you develop a supernatural worldview? And I would say real simply, and as flawed and as broken as this solution might be, I think this might be God's plan A, is to look at the church. It's to look at the church. Now, I say that it's flawed and broken because when you look at the church, I know what many of us see, right? Just take a straw poll down, you know, down, down any of our campus streets on, on a given day. Hey, um, man on the street interview, right? T tell me what, what comes to mind when you think about the church. You're, you'll hear things like boring, irrelevant, hypocritical, judgmental. I hate it. I don't even know what, I, I've, I've never even been. I've never even stepped foot into a church. And so I, I, I recognize the irony in me saying, look at the church. But you gotta understand, the way that God designed the church the people of God, the collective people of God. And I, I know you're, you might be sitting in rows that you don't even know the, the people in that row, but you gotta understand, when you have given your life to Jesus, you have been adopted into the family of God that you and I are collectively a part of now. And God's plan, God's plan is for the world to see, a natural world to see, a supernatural God at work in the life of every believer. Do you believe that God wants to do something supernatural in your life today, right now? Do you believe that God is currently doing something supernatural right now in your seats where you are today? I know for, for, for some of us, it's like, no, I don't, I'm not sure I believe that. Keep coming out, keep coming out. We're gonna talk about this, we're gonna unpack this more in the coming weeks. But for those of you who have never surrendered your life to Jesus, by the way, can I just say, if you've never given your life to Jesus and you've never surrendered your life to him, I'm here to tell you today that he wants to do all of this work that we talked about in your life more than you can possibly know. He wants to make you into a new creation and he wants you to know just how deeply loved you are. He wants to give you a new purpose for life and he wants to empower you to live that life so that you can spend an eternity with Christ. Right, like that, that's the work that Christ wants to do in us. And so if you've never made that commitment today, you can make that commitment right here. Before we go to the communion table, I would encourage you, if you've never surrendered your life to the finished work of Jesus, 
and you want to say, Jesus, I want to encounter you the way that, that, that we're talking about here. I want to walk with you the way that we're talking about here. I want to know that my afterlife and my eternity is secure the way we're talking about here. If that is you, and if you've never made that decision, you could just say, Lord, I'm making that decision here today. I'm drawing the line in the sand saying, yep, I'm there. I'm ready. I surrender my life to you. And then come to the communion table and celebrate what Christ has done for you. Ephesians 2, making you alive with Christ.